If you would turn into 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, we're looking this morning at verses 11 through 20. Um, before we read God's word, let me, let's pray. Gracious God, you again, we... We need you. We need you every hour. We need you every moment. There's not a a point we're independent from you. And especially as we open the scriptures, we are just overwhelmed. Not by, as as Christians, not by what what is said and the amount of information, but just the amount of your your goodness and love. But also we recognize that these, these things can be hard. Hard to understand, hard to interpret, hard to apply. Lord, we need your spirit, the same spirit that, that, that inspired this to be written, to illuminate it and to shine this, your light upon it so we may see, read, understand, apply, be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do that uh, through the preaching of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do good, who do evil, sorry, and to praise those who do good. That did not sound right, so I'm I'm paying attention. Uh, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should... Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. As servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, We still have kids in elementary elementary school, elementary age, maybe you remember your kids being elementary, or you remember being elementary school, and not only did you get a grade for math and reading and language arts, they call it language arts now, I don't think they called it that, it was just English. Anyway, uh, language arts, and now, and you have all the, all these grades, but there was also a grade for what? Conduct. That conduct grade. You know, and some kids do really well in the math and the reading, <laughs> the language arts and the science. But that conduct in class, you get graded for it. 
And, uh, you know, that was a... That was a big part of learning. That's a big part of learning to be an, a, a student, right? To to speak when you're when you're supposed to speak, and to stay in your chair, and and you know, and to not make jokes, even when it was appropriate at the time. You thought, can you see me doing that? Maybe anyway. But it was important. You got graded for it, and it, it, you know, and again, it, and and by the time you get to high school, there's no conduct grade, and maybe that's when you need it the most in middle school and high school. Am I right, teachers? Can I get an amen? Anyway, um, but um, well, if it affected your GPA, man, it might be different. Have you thought about it, uh, Chip? Think about it. Okay, just go out with a bang, man. Anyway, um, everybody was doing really well until no. Anyway. Um, but con- good conduct was important in school, and it was you know you had that, and you either got a you know a, a G for good, you know, and E I, we had E G S and U, you know, in elementary we didn't have A B C D. I don't know, I guess it was too hard, but it was excellent, G for good, E for excellent, S for satisfactory, and that U that was bad, that was bad. When you got the U. When my third grade teacher, if, if Miss Dixon gave you a you, you, you really messed up. Anyway, but again, our conduct is important. And I think sometimes, especially as, as Presbyterians, and we do, we get, here's what we get right. We get so right the emphasis of being before doing. It's not our actions that make us who we are. It's, it's who we are in Christ. Right? We got that. We know that. Uh, we're not saved by our actions. We're saved by faith. And this faith is a gift. But conduct, good, right conduct, is still important. And as you see in this text, it's not just go to church, read your Bible. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how we live in this world. And so, um, there's three things I want us to see that we're, we're to do. I, and this, this text, and I'm getting this from, from a great pastor, Edmund Clowney, and he breaks it down really well. There's three things we're doing, and he describes this, really the key to understanding this section is, those verses 16 through 17, he describes living rightly or good conduct as living in freedom. It's being free. Free. So here are the things we're free to do in Christ. First, we're free to fear God. Second, we are free to love one another. And then thirdly, we're free to honor everyone. That's, the, that's what the Christian life is. It's living out this freedom. And so free to fear God. But, you know, going back to verses 16 through 17, what does it say? It says, uh, live as people who are free. Not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Um, Clowney goes on to say that this whole section is in direct antithesis to the spirit of the world. I mean, this goes completely against what the world says. When we think about individual and group freedom, we think about not being constrained by rules, not being constrained by other people's desires. Uh, it's about our rights and, and us getting what we want, and that's, that's how the world thinks about freedom. But here, Peter describes our freedom as service. Again, service to God, 
service to the church, and service to the world. He, he goes out at the very beginning, uh, at the beginning of this section in verse 11, going back to kind of describing uh, his, his, uh, his audience as he did in chapter 1. He called, us, called them exiles. Again, he says here, sojourners, exiles. And, and, and this really is a, a description of freedom and of liberty. Um, there's freedom in being a foreigner and an exile. Freedom to do what? Freedom to recognize that ultimately we're not beholden to the, 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 the truth of this culture that we live in. We're not, we're not beholden to ultimately to the governing officials. We're not beholden unto, ultimately unto uh, our own passions, our own sinful desires. We're, we are sojourners. We are strangers. We are exiles. Just like who? Just like Abraham. Just like Israel in the wilderness that are free from slavery to Egypt and other powers and free to serve the Lord. So it's good. It's good here as he talks about as being foreigners and exiles. We are citizens of God's kingdom and called to live for Him. We're called to, to fear Him. And by that I mean not be afraid He's going to smite us, be afraid He's going to reject us, but, but, but to revere Him and to glorify Him and to seek to honor Him in all we do. That's what it means to be free to fear God, free to honor and bring Him glory. And that's throughout this whole thing, um, how we respond to Him and respond to the church, how we respond to, to others, even those that are hostile it's all about bringing glory to Him. And again, it's, it's weird to think about freedom and liberty and following the rules. If you ask the third grader, alright, you're free to do what you want. He's going, so there's no conduct grade? That's really the next question. You mean I, there's no grade today? So I can just live out my desires. I can stand on the desk and throw the markers and... Sing, I don't know, I'm just making it, that's not in my notes. Anyway, so, but like what, what, what all, is it just living according to my own whimsy and desires? No. But he says we're, we're free, we're free to abstain. That's, that's weird, isn't it? Free to not do something. Free to not participate. Free to not join in. And what are we supposed to abstain from? Free we're free now to abstain from our sinful passions, our sinful desires. We now, in Christ, through the work of His Spirit, are not slaves to the flesh, not slaves to our sin. When I was doing youth ministry, I always talk about being a Christian. If you think about it, according to passages like this, it's, kind of, it's like having a superpower. Because <laughs> he talks about everyone else. If you're not in Christ, you don't know Jesus... You're not free. You know, you look at the world and they're doing what they want and, uh, you know, sinning big and just seem to have a great time doing it. But the Scripture says they're bound to that. They're slaves to that. They can't see the destruction they're bringing on themselves in this world and in the next. They're blind and they're slaves. But we are set free. In fact, when we talk, when the, when the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith talks about freedom, it talks about freedom of the will. 
You know, when we, and normally in our, in our evangelical circles, especially around here, we talk about freedom of will as like either the, like, like the opposite of election or predestination. But really, what the scripture talks about free will, and when the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Divines talked about it in chapter 9, they say, they say this, they say, Man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. But when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so as that by reasoning of his remaining corruption, he does not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but also that which is evil. It doesn't mean that we all of a sudden just do everything right, but it means now we're free to and have the ability to glorify God, to love God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to bring and to honor everyone. We can do it now. The Christian can do that. And so Peter's saying, look at this freedom. Free to, to glor- bring glory to God in all that we do. Freedom to, to do that as, as we worship Him, as we acknowledge Him, as who He is, but also as we, as we, in, in how we treat those around us. We have a a superpower that's not natural to fallen sinners, we have the ability to love God, to love one another. Hey, do you think of it that way? Do you think of it that way? Kids, do you think of it that way? That it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not something that's now, you know, following God's law isn't something that is constraining, but it's, it's a... It's a it's like getting an app on your phone you didn't have before. <laughs> it's like downloading new RAM into your computer and you can do so much more with it. It's, it's now I can see what's right. I can see how to love God and love those around me. Good conduct isn't just a, something we get created on. It's something we get to do. That we uniquely have the ability to carry out. So we do this. We're free to fear God and to submit to Him and, and abstain from sinful desires, abstain from the passions, to set ourselves off, to act as, as exiles, as foreigners in the world but not of the world. And we do it to God's glory. We do it because He is God and He loves us and He has set us free. We revere Him and thus we... We are free to love and honor and fear Him. That's God's doing. That's, that's His grace. Second, we're free to love one another in the church. And there's not a whole lot here on this besides just what you see in verse 17, love the brotherhood. But you can also see just throughout here, just keep, you know, verse uh, 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles Honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. That when we're loving one another 
when we abstain from those sinful passions. When there is this sinful desire for backbiting and slander and all the things we talked about in previous sermons that Peter covered, when we, when that, we want to do that, even in the body of Christ, and we go, no, I'm going to fight that. That is not the way of Jesus. That's not what he wants for me. That's not how I love my brother. Even, even if I'm offended, even if I've been hurt, that's not how to respond. That, that first of all, we're called to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ well. We're called to, to go to one another, as Matthew 18 says, and, and say, you, I, I, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry, or you have hurt me, you need to know that. We pursue each other, even take another friend with us, and even take, if that doesn't work, an elder with us. Not because we're, we're being uh, uh, legalistic or, or harsh, but we want reconciliation. We want confession and repentance. And, and while brothers and sisters to turn from sin and turn to Jesus, we want that for each other. We're going to take care of each other when we're sick. We're going to tend to each other. We're going to ask how you're doing. We're going to love each other well. And when we do that, when we do that, what does it do? Well, really, it's doing what Jesus said to do. It's, it's, it's bearing witness in the world. It's what He said in Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we love one another uh, out, out of the rich and abundant love God has for us, God is glorified, but also others notice. And it says, also it says when we do this, that it will silence the ignorance of foolish people. I don't know about you, but I love the idea of silencing the ignorance of foolish people. That is like one of the passions of my heart. <laughs> is to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But how do I typically want to go about it? Do you have the desire to silence the ignorance of foolish people? Good. How, do we, how are we supposed to do it? Not on Facebook. Not in voting for the right party. Loving well. Man, that's convicting. Have you ever tried to convince someone that who they're voting for is wrong or what their, their life choices are wrong just by... Do you, have you found that getting louder and meaner works? Have anybody ever... That in my flesh, in the passions of my flesh, is really my first instinct. Do we love well? Do we love the broken people around us well? Do we love our brothers and sisters who are, who are straying in our church well? Do we love the single mothers well? Do we love people that are, that are find themselves pregnant out of wedlock well? Do we love each other well? When we do that, the world notices. 
we drive them away when we try to talk them into doing right. We glorify God and draw them in when we demonstrate the sacrificial love of Jesus to one another. They go, I want to be part of that. When I was on campus doing RUF, I had students go, y'all actually like each other. And y'all really aren't that cool. You know, it's like, it's not that these, there's a bunch of kids that are like, you know, that every, not, not everybody was on, you know, one popularity contest. But it's like, there are a lot of odd, different kind of people on campus and they're at RUF and y'all all love each other. Like when someone says something stupid, y'all don't make fun of him. When someone is dressed as weird, you don't go, ooh, what's that? You just love them. That's, we do that well as a church. And I'm not commenting on my attire. So don't, 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 don't go, is he talking about me? Anyway, but like, but like we, how, how do, we, do we welcome? I mean, the scripture talks about, talks about the different parts of the body. Those who are the weakest need the most protection. In First in First Corinthians, Paul talks about that. The weaker parts of the body, we do all we do all the more work to protect and take care of them, not cut them off. There is no other group. There's no other people like this on earth, but the church. And when we live into that, when we grow into that, people are drawn in. People are drawn not just to us, but they're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. We're free to do that. Kids, you have the spiritual superpower to do that. <laughs> like no one else can. Through the, through, the, through the power and the strength of the Spirit within you. We're free to, to love, to fear God, to love God. We're free to to love one another in the church, to love the brotherhood. And then finally, we're free to honor everyone. What about all those foolish, ignorant people <laughs> that need to be silenced? And he really, I mean, look what he says. I want you to honor not only those who believe what you believe, I want you to honor, he says, the emperor. Now, I want you to... Historical context here. This emperor's not Republican. That was a joke. This, he wasn't, though. Anyway, uh, he was not for republic. He was for being emperor. He was a dictator. Anyway, but uh, he... He was not a Christian. He actually... This was likely Nero or... Domitian or one of those guys he's talking he's talking about one of these guys that delighted in murder and persecuting people like him is this crazy talk what was he talking about <laughs> honor the emperor what where where could Peter get off talking like this Why would he say that? What did Jesus do when he was falsely accused 
by the Jewish governing body and then falsely condemned by the Roman government. What did he do? He submitted. It was in that form that his submission, his going, Lord, he's submitting ultimately to his heavenly father, but he did not rebel. He did not lead a rebellion. He did not show up as the Messiah that the Jews wanted. Peter wanted to, he was bad at cutting off heads, so he cut off a guy's ear. (laughs) But Jesus healed him. It's like, no. That's not the way you're going to win. The way you're going to win, Peter, the way we're going to win is through my submission, my death, and my resurrection. That's where he gets off saying that. That's what his Savior did. That's what Jesus does. When he was asked about taxes, (laughs) render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Whose, Whose face is on that coin? Caesar, that's his. We see it throughout Scripture, Romans 13, other places. We're, we're, to, we're called to, to acknowledge that God's put these authorities over our lives. And so now let's come back to where we are. You know, it may be that you don't like the governor we have. It may not be that you don't like the city council we have. It may be that you don't like the president we have. It may be you voted for the other person, but thank God we live in a place where you can vote. Praise God that we have those freedoms. There are Christians, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who have no freedom. You know, you're like, I don't think my vote really counts. Well, there are places where there's no voting. But still, just like Daniel, and that's the picture. That, you want to go to, what is it like to be an exile, to be a foreigner? He's like, I, look, you tell me I can't pray, I'm going to pray. But if I die, I die. The body they may kill, but God's truth abided still. And his kingdom is forever. I mean, Daniel got that. He didn't. He was a part of the part of the governing body. He was part of the government. And he did and lived in a way which was uh, pleasing to God. But he, you know, only time he rebelled was when the government told him to do something that was complete opposition to the scriptures, to what Yahweh's commands were. But other than that, we are called, just like Daniel, to live in a way that's honoring to our governing officials, even when we don't agree with them. What does it look like to do that? It means not only we, we, we obey the laws, but we're careful in how we talk about them, too. If you, if you talk to an unbeliever, and, I, and, and hopefully you have an opportunity to do that, who, who really does think, and again, this isn't, I'm not trying to be belittling, but really does think the Democratic Party is the answer to all our problems. Thank you for not laughing. But they, they really sincerely think that. that they're, they're, they have a, a humanistic point of view. They, like, they see, like, and you, just, and you dismiss it and act like they're just complete idiots if you do that. What are they going to say? What, again, we're going back to the second point. How are they going to respond? Not, oh, tell me more of how I'm so wrong. <laughs> we need to speak well. We need to pray for our governing officials. We need to pray for those, even, even the unjust rulers. 
That's what we're called to do. Uh, Not only governing officials, but also, it says, your masters. And this is, we don't live in a culture anymore where there's indentured servitude, where there's uh, agreed agreed upon uh, uh, indentured servants and slaves. We, we, We do have bosses. We do have people that are over us. We do have people that can tell us what to do, and if we don't do it, cannot pay us. We, we live in this state of, and, and maybe we've all had bad bosses before. Either they didn't know what they were doing or liked doing things wrong or had power trips and, and, and acted as though you were, you were their slave. I've, I've heard some of you as prayer requests like, please help me to go in Monday <laughs> and not tell someone off. And that's a good prayer request, y'all. <laughs> That's a, that's a real honest prayer request. Uh, but, but again, the, you're going, Lord, give me, make me humble, make me willing to, to serve this person, to bring you glory, and so that others will see what it looks like to trust not the emperor, not the master, but to trust God. To trust Yahweh. With what he's doing and, as, and, and, and that he's at work. Because it says this, look, 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What's that? Being mindful of God. And that, that is, that's hard when it's going sideways, isn't it? That's really hard when things are going wrong. That's really hard when you look at our culture and you go, man, it's just, it's never been this bad. When you go into work, it's like we've never had more incompetence in leadership. It's, it's hard to, to be mindful of God, but he's saying that's what it means. And what does that mean? It means, God, you're in control. God, you have not let your hand off the wheel. God, you still love me. God, you're still working all things good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And you have this for me now to walk through this valley. That's being mindful of God. And that He loves you. Not just a little bit. Not just halfway. He loves you all the way. Always and forever. Even in this hard place. The government, the employers, and even the unjust. Look what he says. Verse 20. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? You got what you deserved. <laughs> like if you, you know, if you mess up in class, if you don't show up to work, if you're lazy, then you'll, there's, there's consequences But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There's going to be injustice. There's going to be times when you suffer unjustly. You know, we're coming up on Christmas, kids, if you're paying attention, you know, you come on Christmas, adults too, you can hear this too. You don't have to leave. But like, you know, this whole thing about um, did, did Jesus ever get a spanking? What do you think? He never sinned. So you think, hey, he never got a spanking. 
or never had to time out. Sorry, those of you who don't spank. Talk to me later. I apologize. But what? What? You know? Did he? No, he probably did. Why? Because his parents were unjust. <laughs> he had, his sinners were his parents were sinners. Did Jesus deserve to be arrested? No. <laughs> Did Jesus deserve the death penalty? No. Corrupt injustice. There are Christians now who are dying because they're Christians all over the world. They didn't do anything wrong. It's complete and utter injustice. But when God sees that, and when we do that, when we lean in and are mindful of Him, He says He sees it as a gracious thing. So again, we're, we're, we're free to love one another. We're free to honor everyone. And the who is the government, the employers, even the unjust. But why? It's not because if you do right and you do these things, then you will get health and wealth now. That's not it. That's not what it says. It's not, well, if, I, if I do the right things and suffer, then I'm going to get what's mine now. No. Again, it comes back to what I said before, verse 12. When you keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. <laughs> That they may see. That the, on, the, on look, the world that... And just, you're like, is the world looking at me? Do you ever think about that? Is the world looking at me? And so often we, we thrive on being significant. We put our stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or whatever. Because we, we, want, we want affirmation. We want attention. But even without that, the world is, see, is seeing you. The people that, uh, that God has put in your life see you. And you are making an impression and when we suffer in, in, uh, injustice, when, when we do it graciously, when we don't speak ill of one another, when we are abstaining from the passions of the flesh, when we are fearing God and loving uh, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and seeking to love and honor everyone around us, people see that, they recognize it, and he says, they glorify God. And that, that's, that's missions, that's, that's conversions. But also, there are people that see, see your good deeds, glorify God, and look, what's the rest of the sentence? On the day of visitation. For many, they will not understand and glorify God until Christ comes again. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. We sang that, I believe. It's a good job. That, that will happen. It doesn't mean we go to work and we, and we do something real selfless and everyone goes, you are so great, Grant. <laughs> oh, tell me more about your God. That, that doesn't always happen. It can. It does. Maybe it's happened to you. But ultimately, ultimately on the day when Christ comes again, it will happen. God will get all the glory. God will get the worship, the acknowledgement He deserves. All will acknowledge that the good deeds of the saints that God has given us to do, to walk in them, to humbly walk in them, and he will receive 
the glory. We, we make much of missions and evangelism. We have approaches, we have questions, we have these different methods. But really, really the, the greatest witness, the greatest means is loving God and being a distinct people in the world, abstaining from the sinful desires of the flesh, loving each other well in the church, and showing honor to everyone as image bearers, even unjust government, even unjust masters, employers. It's this good conduct in response to God's grace, in response to what Christ has done, because we have been made new, been regenerated, and being conformed to His image, is when we live that, that way, when we live in the freedom of who we really are, God is glorified, and people are drawn to Him. Let's pray. Gracious